0: Good evening and welcome to the PG Nip. We are an independent radio show slash podcast dispensing only the finest in grandiose infotainment, provocative parody, and improbable interviews. And now, on with the show. Whew! <laughs> Kevin
1: here, coming to you, as always, from the driver's seat of the world's finest automobile, the 1993 Pontiac Firebird in full Trans Am trim. We're playing some killer tracks, we're kicking back, and we're cruising. All right, listen. After last week's show, we got a lot of faxes asking about how Sherry's doing, and I'm happy to report that she's out of the hospital and back at home. She's still a bit confused, but they gave her some pretty good meds at the hospital. (laughs) Thankfully, the sausage shack isn't going to sue, but uh, we're never allowed in there again. So there's that. Okay. Tonight we're gonna to check out some killer tracks that my buddy Vugan suggested we have a listen to. I haven't even heard him yet, so we're going on this ride together. Woo! Okay, here, here's one he gave me on cassette. The label just says "Man." I don't know what to expect. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on! What the fuck? <laughs> the fuck is this?
2: Ah, uh, you okay, man? Uh, Yeah, I'm okay. Why? Who's asking?
1: Well, it's just you've got your pecker hanging out there, bud. (laughs) What the f- Kevin, is that you? Yeah, yeah, it's me, old Whisker Biscuit. What are you up to?
2: Same as always, man. You just cruising? Yeah, just listening to some tracks with my live stream crew.
1: Say hi. Hi, crew. What you listening to tonight? Well, we got some tapes from the Vugan and a couple of deep cuts from the Wilhelm Street Boys from around 2002. Killer. Anyways, I gotta run, Kev. Drop me a fax next week. I got some stuff for you. Okay, thanks, man. Catch you later. <laughs> Good guy. Always listens to the show. <clears throat>
0: man, shit.
1: Okay. All right. Well, well uh, that tape's fuckered. Okay. Well. Uh. Hope it's not his only copy. I guess we'll move on to the next track. Here's a stray CD I found behind the dryer the other day. It's a bit scratched up, but it says Polish baloney. So if it's what I think it is, we're in for a hell of a. Well, hello!
0: (laughs) What in the Korean Jesus fuck are you up to, lady? Hey, Akebi baby, what's going on? You want to give a girl a ride across town? Oh, where are you going? Up to Boogan's place.
1: Nah, I gotta steer clear there for the next bit. I killed one of his tapes.
0: Damn, Kev. Glad I ain't you.
1: It'll be alright. I'll I'll take it home and get it fixed up.
0: Hope so. Hey, how's Sherry? I heard about the shock business.
1: She'll be fine. It's kind of shocking how much damage Sourcrow could cause to plumbing, though.
0: What's that now? I thought she busted the place up.
1: Oh, oh, what, What do you mean? What did you hear?
0: Jenny Constance Quig told me that she had a spaz at the East Side Sausage Shack and broke some shit but busted her hand.
1: <laughs> well, she did wreck the spot, yeah, but no, nothing like that. We were getting some audio for the show, right? I challenge her to eat the whole bucket of kraut. Of course, she's game, so she says, watch this asshole and downs the whole thing in like three minutes.
0: Good lord.
1: Yeah, just fucking wait. So she eats the whole bucket of slop and chugs a couple of pilsners, right? Well, about 15 minutes later, she's complaining and eating an outhouse, if you know what I
0: mean. Oh, dear.
1: So she butt-clench walks her way to the washroom, right? And that's the last I see of her for a good little bit. Kaczynski even stopped by to shoot the shit for a while before I noticed she was taking her time. Well, she eventually comes back to the table, right? Looking a bit green. And she says to me, she says, I blew up the shitter. And I'm like... What do you mean you blew up the shitter? And she says, no word of a lie. She says, Kev, I shit and puked so much crout that the toilet's clogged and the sink water's running brown. Oh, I didn't believe her, right? So I says, bullshit, show me.
0: When someone says they shit a whole bathroom to death, you just believe them, baby.
1: Yeah, well... Lesson learned. It was a of fucking liptic. We tried to skedaddle, but the the smell wafted out to the cheap seats pretty quick. Then the manager was writing on top of us, yelling that we needed to get the fuck out and we'd be paying for the damages and all this bullshit. Well, I told him that it was his fucking kraut that ripped her new Greek guy and that they, they'd be on the hook for her medical bills and that they'd be hearing from my representation in the morning. What'd he say? He just says to get out and to don't come back, little pisshand. He's lucky I didn't spin some fat, smoky donuts right there in the parking lot, but I had to get Sherry over to the hospital. Poor girl. Yeah, I think she's the first person to ever contaminate an entire water supply with just her log cutter. A- anyway, you want to lift up the hill? It'll get you a bit closer.
0: Nah, it's okay, honey. It's a nice night, and I need to walk. You take care of yourself, Kev, and tell Sherry hi for me. we
1: right, will do. Take her easy. That's a crazy chick, man. I once watched her fight her own sister until neither of them could hardly walk. They were fighting over some man or... Maybe it was cheese or something. Hell, I don't remember, but somebody lost some hair that Alright, finally. Back to the tunes, crew. We got this disc, Polish Baloney, going here, but it's not what I was hoping for. I thought it was going to be the Wilhelm Boys, but it turns out it's just a recording I did of myself back in like 06, drunk off my ass at Home Alone, singing AC/DC B-Sides. I don't think that I can play those here for copyright reasons, so we'll try to find something else to listen What in the fresh produce fuck is happening now?
3: Nice car. Thanks, it's a classic. The signal lights work on this classic? Sure do officer. That's weird because you didn't signal pulling away from the curb back there.
1: Ooh, so yeah, that's my bad, officer. I was was just listening to some killer tracks here. License and registration, please. Of course.
3: Kevin, Kevin, is that your first or last name? Both. Both? Kevin, Kevin? Like Kevin's Killer Tracks, Kevin, Kevin? Yep, yeah, that's me. Man, I love your show. Is this the Trans Am? Hell yeah, brother. Do you want to go for a spin? I'm on duty right now, but meet me at the East Side Sausage Shack about 11 o'clock and we can go for a rip around the high school parking lot?
1: Ooh, no can do the shackaroo, but I'll tell you what. If you let me off this ticket, I'll let you drive it for a bit in the St. Boosie's Day Parade next week. Get the fuck out of town. Really? Damn
3: right. Done. See you next week, Dev.
1: See you then, Dick Smack. Well, guess that's all the time we got for this week. how to get to work. Anyway, as always, new episodes come out Wednesday afternoons unless I'm up at the cottage. Like and subscribe by fax the usual number, and keep the killer tunes cranked, crew.
0: Woo-hoo!
4: having a classy dinner party soon? Do you need something a little more exotic than your father's grey poupon to jazz up your hors d'oeuvres? Discover the culinary secretions we've mastered and try our new creamy gentleman's relish with notes of saffron and Belgian ambergris. Now available in a convenient squeeze bottle, just apply a good firm grip and an oscillating motion and you will soon spurt out just the right amount of spunky accompaniment for your cheeseboard, charcuterie, or artisan sourdough flatbreads. Find new passion in condiments. Try a mouthful today of gentleman's relish.
1: hmm <clears throat> And welcome back to the program. There's still lots of interviews with interesting folks coming up this afternoon, including a story about a clan of Sasquatches who are really moving up in society. And up next, we've got... Oh, hey, Rick, what's up?
4: Hey, man, check out this new tape measure I just got at Canadian Tire last night. It's got inches, pixels, and cubits on it, and I can dangle her out about 14 feet before it flops over, just like in college.
1: Uh, uh, man, didn't you see the trademark policy statement from the station manager last week?
4: The TPS report? What about it?
1: We're not allowed to mention Canadian Tire on the show anymore.
4: What? Are you you serious? I thought that was just part of the skit that the writers put in.
1: No, no, it's real. There's there's that whole legal matter going on that started that incident in Winnipeg a few months ago, so so please just don't mention Canadian Tire anymore when we're recording, even if it's in a positive light. We just... We're going to have to edit all this out before the show gets aired anyway. Ah, okay. Sorry, man. I thought it was just some kind of inside joke. Uh, okay. What's up
3: next here? Uh, What's those book-reading jerk-offs again?
4: And now, Reader's Corner with Jensen Wilton. Good afternoon. I'm Jensen Wilton. On the show today, a discussion about Bradley Swa's seminal 1953 work, the genre-bending, semi-autobiographical adventure romance novel and annotated survivalist guidebook, I'll Make You Walk Up the River at Midnight. In the studio today are Meaford Post columnist and Bradley Swa biographer Davis Swa, no relation, television evangelist Reverend Percy Oakley, and writer and editor of restaurant placemat puzzles and word games, Jenny Constance Quigg. Does anyone have any memories of this book from childhood or adolescence, and if so, how did it make an impact on the young you? Reverend Oakley? Well, as I recall, every young boy in my family, and it seemed in the whole world, had a copy
1: of River at Midnight, and we all studied it judiciously. You have to have your own copy, you see, because of the ledgers that need to be kept, and being able to accurately track your partner's coordinates is essential must admit, likely as with every young man and perhaps every young woman, I found the more sexually explicit chapters most interesting at first. It is with a certain measure of maturity now that I see that the catalogue of shortwave radio
4: frequencies and the pull-out topographical maps are where the real lessons lie. Davis Suha, how much of River at Midnight can be considered autobiography, and how much is embellished fiction?
5: There are certainly retellings of grand adventures that, as best we can tell, are quite true, I'm thinking here of the homemade explosives and the holding of equipment as collateral for payment from a drug cartel. But others are suspected of being exaggerated accounts or more likely outright fabrications. The Satan Ducks and the Dirty Deed, for example.
4: Jenny Constance Quigg, you recently published a placemat that prominently featured a bit of Bradley Sua trivia. What was that?
0: In one of the crossword puzzles, one down, five letters, his favorite thing to eat. Put Correct, Davis. Swa was a notorious pussyhound.
4: Aren't we all? Reverend, does Swa's obvious distaste for organized religion taint in any way your enjoyment of the work of, or the lessons that can be taken from it? Uh, not especially, Jensen, no.
1: Each man and woman must forge their own path to their own version of faith or to no faith at all. I don't hold that against the author. Finding our place in the universe is a complicated affair, and the questions posed on that journey can only be answered from within each of us, uniquely. I believe our esteemed author gives a good accounting for how he arrived at his station and provides ample justification for it. In fact, many times I have been given pause when reading and rereading certain chapters. He's so subtle with language that it'll, it'll often be just a simple turn of phrase and a rant about lawns or a discussion about the inflection point between sensible investing and pissing it all away. But something, something will force me to dig deeper into understanding my own mind and my own self. I love that about this book. What we find in River at Midnight are compelling reasons to keep looking, to keep
4: searching, to keep striving for some meaning in this life. Hmm. Davis, you've been to Swaz's birthplace and childhood homes. Is there anything we might find surprising about those places that might have contributed to his writing?
5: Well, it's likely unsurprising that that little island made an indelible mark on the man. Let me share a short passage from the chapter entitled Morning Glory. Been in the bush six days now. Right knee hurts a bit, but I'm soldiering on. So far, have only seen puffins and caribou, and that one hot chick. Out here we don't see many people this far back, but I'm always thankful for the scenery and time to think. It occurred to me last night, as I was laying down to sleep under the stars, and the considerable influence of gin and dope, that life out here could be better with a little companionship, but that I wouldn't want to disturb the peace that the solitude brings me. Still. Would be nice to get a Hummer in the morning before getting back on the trail.
4: A good reminder that a decent Hummer is good for morale. Amen. Jenny, your side gig as an amateur GIS and geomatics analyst, how do you account for the inaccuracies in some of SWA's surveys of the inland water passages at Upper and Eastern Continental North America?
0: That's an excellent question. We know that he spent a great deal of his time in the forest inebriated, so those maps are not always as reliable as we might like them to be.
1: So true, so true. My youngest brother and I once tried to dead reckon a line between our home beside the church up to the titty bar up the holler, but the maps were simply too far to plumb to make our journey efficiently enough. Eventually, our father caught us after dark, many hours after we were supposed to have been asleep near the chip wagon, begging for change for the bus for, for a ride home. I guess it's best he found us, rather than some Swedish pervert or the like, but this was the spirit of adventure that River at Midnight instilled in us. We wanted to be out there, blazing our own trail, finding the nooks and crannies that had been theretofore hidden
0: from us. It really is a remarkable work, but it shouldn't be taken as gospel in terms of being a navigational aid. Davis, last word to you.
5: What else is there to say? If you were young in the 1950s and 60s, you knew the name Bradley Swell, and you'd likely read River at Midnight. It's not perfect, of course, but there is no greater work of survivalist quasi-erotica. That it didn't win the Nobel or Pulitzer seems unjust.
4: Okay, well I guess that wraps it up for Reader's Quarter this week. Thank you all for being here. Join me and my panel next week when we discuss Tim Warren's Disturbingly Dark, It's All Roses and Rainbows from Here Ladies.
2: They go by many names. Bigfoot, Yeti, Abominable Snowman, Wood Booger, Sasquatch, or in Nova Scotia, the Sam Squanch. But until recently, reports of these elusive creatures have typically been associated with the same sort of folk who tend to see other magical or imaginary things like UFOs, ghosts, angels, or a doctor accepting new patients. In 1998, A pair of hikers had an encounter in Valhalla Provincial Park near Castlegar, and though the response from the media was skeptical at best, many Sasquatch aficionados believe it is the most accurate description to date. Here is a clip from that interview, originally aired by CBC Kelowna.
6: We just finished a 35k circuit up to the summit of the Golden Behind and we are packing up our gear on the last morning. Well, my partner Terry comes out from a clump of bushes with this really weird look on his face. And, you know, kind of like when you misjudge the size of a hot knife chunk, right? Anyway, he's all uh, going googly-eyed and flapping his arms about and he's just, he's saying he's not really saying anything. He's kind of pointing, so I go up to the edge of the trees and have a gander. And that's when I saw them. It was these two huge hairy beasts kind of squatting around a campfire and roasting up what appeared to be a greasy chipmunk and some marshmallows. Now, a lot of people said to me, they said, now look, Diener. The Shambhala Festival just finished up and it was probably just a couple of dirty wookies I would have in a out. Same as you guys. But fuck man, now, I've seen a lot of hippies and these things were no people with just extra body hair. I mean, they're seven feet tall with thick black hair all over their arms and face. And kind of short, upturned noses like a bulldog or, or that alien dude from the movie Predator.
2: We go now to Professor Murray Brown of the UBC, who has always had a passion for large, hairy biceps, and now has been studying the Sasquatch for decades. Professor, there have been sporadic and unverified reports of Bigfoot or Sasquatches for almost a century now all over the world. But there does seem to be a high prevalence of reports in British Columbia, especially the interior mountain areas. So I guess, first of all, my question here is, are these things real? And have you personally had sightings?
4: Yes, it sounds hard to believe, but in the last few years we've learned a lot about them and we're currently tracking and researching six different groups or clans living in the region. So traditionally the Sasquatch has been a pretty elusive creature, living almost entirely isolated in the mountain valleys, eating a diet of squirrels, wild rhubarb, mushrooms and beetles. But we've noticed some really interesting trends lately. As the Earth's climate is changing, the summer wildfires have really started to encroach on the Sasquatch territory in British Columbia. And as they move down to further elevations, there just aren't as many food sources due to the drier summers and the woodlands being raised for residential development. But the Sasquatch is a very resourceful species, and there's one family group we've been watching for two years now. And one of the ways in which this particular group has adapted is by starting to really take advantage of the urban infrastructure. For example, do you know where the highest density of available food sources is in the Lower Kootenays? Uh, like on the farms and stuff? Maybe 50 years ago, but these days it's actually the grocery department of the Nelson Walmart, and that's where most of the public sightings are now taking place. Do you mean to tell me that these Sasquatches just charge in and steal food from stores? Good lord, no. Sorry, I should have been more clear. They are actually very respectful, and several of the junior members of the clan seem to have acquired CIBC debit cards. They wait in line like everyone else, and actually have nicer footwear than many of the regular human customers.
2: Wait, so these things have bank cards? Where does the money come from?
4: Well, it's the same way humans get money. We know two of them for sure qualified for Trudeau's Serb subsidies, and our best guess is that some of the others have figured out how to get remote jobs, like doing phone support for Shaw Cable, or cryptocurrency advising, or even selling original content on OnlyFans. Although they often appear very wild and animal-like at first glance, our studies place the average intelligence of the adult Sasquatch somewhere between a golden retriever and a Republican senator, which is more than enough brain power to make it through to an entry-level job interview.
2: So what foods or items is this group or clan typically purchasing at Walmart?
4: At this point, it seems to be mostly sugary foods, things which are not normally available when foraging in the woods. Bananas, strawberry jam, chocolate pudding, root beers. The Sasquatches in our research still seem to prefer the wild-caught protein sources like chipmunks, frogs, etc. rather than factory-raised beef or chicken, but there is one member of the group who seems quite keen on some of the new vegan meat substitutes such as the Great Value Maggot Burgers. They also purchase a lot of hairbrushes, conditioner, and for reasons we don't fully understand, a huge amount of 9-volt batteries. But it seems like this is a pretty major discovery. How come we haven't heard anything
2: about these regular sightings in the media?
4: Well, the local residents of Nelson have always been fairly accepting of alternative lifestyles and weirdos, so it probably never occurred to them to make much of a fuss. And after all, the reports we've been hearing is that the Sasquatch population causes the townsfolk considerably less aggravation than the self-entitled van-dwellers and Instagram influencers that congeal and swarm around the town like shithawks every summer.
2: Huh. Well, that's been very fascinating. Thank you for the updates, Professor Brown. We'll talk to you again soon.
4: Okay, take care.
1: Have you been injured in a workplace accident related to robotic monkey butlers? (laughs) Are you permanently disabled due to exposure to Gentleman's Relish? Were you subjected to Neil Young without your consent? Well, call Penny Whistle, Rosenthal, and Cornbread. Attorneys at law. We'll work to get you the settlement you deserve.
0: After the ordeal,
1: I called Penny Whistle, Rosenthal, and Cornbread, and they got me almost $5 million. What happened to Sandra could happen to any of us. She was stuck on an elevator for an hour and fifteen minutes with Harvest Moon Muzak playing on loop. Nobody should be made to suffer like that. If you've been wronged like Sandra, call Pennywhistle Rosenthal and Cornbread, where you're always our most important client. Settlement amounts not typical. Non refundable retainer applicable where law allows. Offer void in the Bruce Peninsula Autonomous Region.
4: The practical guide to nothing in particular was written and produced for no particular reason and for a budget of practically nothing we release new episodes very seldomly but advise listeners to send us money anyways due to ongoing disputes with the crtc we are obligated to be creative in our distribution methods today our show was broadcast live on a realistic brand kids megaphone with bonus police siren sound effects button